Hi, this is the Reverend Andrew Christensen. You're listening to Doth Protest Too Much. We are a Christ-centered, reformationally-minded podcast that explores the history and theology of the Christian church. This podcast originally started as a forum for discussing the developmental history of Christian thought, what is often called historical theology. And it has since grown into an ecumenical team of hosts, myself, Stephen Burnett, Pastor Charlie Beeman, and the Reverend James Rickenbaker. We're all interested in the past, present, and future of the church. We share a commitment to the central place that grace has in the message of the good news, a message we feel often gets lost in our day and age, sometimes in religion itself. A message that is of God's goodwill toward us is echoed in the following words from St. Paul. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief one. I pray that the discussions in our episodes, whether casual or scholarly, can speak to how the story and witness of Christians from our past can comfort and strengthen us for today. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to Doth Protest Too Much. Uh, I'm back here with Stephen and also our friend Michael. We have three on the podcast today, and um, we don't have a microphone. Um, and so we got three three guys and no microphone. But, um, you know, I think this will basically just uh, uh, prove that anyone can do a podcast and start a podcast. And I bet you probably may not even notice a difference because I really don't know how much <laughs> the mic helps. <laughs> it's a good but, aesthetic. It's, it's a, a good, good aesthetic, aesthetic yeah. right? I feel really cool when I have a mic in front of my mouth. It makes me feel like officially like a podcaster. So but thanks for tuning in. Uh, today we're going to wrap up some discussion on Billy Graham, but also just kind of have a uh, general people being people uh, on this episode and uh, discussing great things and of life. And so, uh, Steven, let's go over to Steven. How you been? Man, I've, I've been good. I've been really busy. Uh, real estate in this area is crazy busy. I do home inspections. And so I'm pretty much called out to whenever people buy or sell a home and it's been wild, but it's been rewarding and good. All right. Good. And, uh, yeah, home inspections, I, I imagine has been pretty busy during, um, this just oh, the way the market is right now. Yeah, right? absolutely. I've done uh, 208 inspections since uh, March, so okay. of this year. So it's been it's been wild. Yeah. Um, how about you, Mike? Oh, by the way, do you consent to be on this show? <laughs> I do. I do. Uh, I'm not sure if I can define myself as a longtime listener, or first time caller, guest. Michael is sure. a long time. I think you've listened to all our episodes and Most you've always like texted me with a kind of like yeah. great episode. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Most you know? of them. Uh, I am, I'm a fan of the show. Uh, so glad to be here. Awesome. Uh, How things been? How's your summer? Summer's been good. It's been busy. Um, we, my wife and I did a lot of traveling this year for her work. Um, she does a lot of ministry summer camps and, uh, 
we finally kind of settled back into our normal routine and gearing up for the the fall the fall and school good. year yeah so um yeah uh so i've been good i'm in lafayette now for our listeners south louisiana and um it's interesting i actually uh have met with some of the uh young life uh leaders that is the youth ministry that <laughs> we're talking about yeah and i and i met with some young life leaders uh in South Louisiana, and they have a lot of, uh, it, I think it's really interesting, they had a lot of Catholics, Catholic uh, young life leaders in that part of the state, and it makes sense. Yeah, I uh, think the guy down there is is kind of in charge of, at least Louisiana, yeah. Catholic young life. I spoke uh, with them, yeah. and ministry. They're, they're creating like an office for Catholic relations, which, um, you know, I, I just thought was interesting, on a sociological level, very interesting, just because that's, right. that's heavily Catholic area, and uh, it's like everywhere else, you know, young life, like, the typical young life leader, they probably go to a non-denom church or something like that. So I just thought it was, it was brilliant. So I think it's really cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, so... Uh, Are you going to be leading? Young well, life leading down there? We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'm at the, we have young life at the school I work at now. And so, um, you know, I'll definitely be in, involved uh, on on-campus activities for sure that they do. And so, uh, so yeah, um, I definitely look, we'll be involved with that in some way um so but yeah we uh also so we were going to discuss what was it books yeah okay so books um so i had like this summer like i i decided to switch up some of my reading uh because i realized the past 11 years of my life i've been reading nothing but theology and uh (laughs) I don't know if that's uh, um, mentally healthy to always just be immersed in the same thing all the time. Not really. I mean, theology is, you can read that for years and years. I mean, years. Is it, <laughs> isn't everything theology at one everything point? Is, right. Everything's theology at some point, right? So, but yeah, I, so I uh, did some good summer reading of some other things, and uh, but I'll get to that in a sec. And so uh, my two guests, Stephen and Michael and myself, uh, we're just going to go around and talk about books we've read this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, that are not theology, religion, or spirituality related. Uh, but then again, I mean, everything's spiritual, right? So Direct, <laughs> Directly, yeah. Directly. Yeah. So we're, t- we're going to talk about some you wouldn't secular books. The, you, you wouldn't find these in the religion section of Barnes & Noble. Right? Yes, you, right. wouldn't, you won't find much good things in the religion <laughs> section of Barnes & Noble. So. Um, or christianbook.com or anything in that realm. Right, yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, Christian That's Book. The no, no, ChristianBook.com is is out. They're legit. They got some good stuff. No, I'm saying the the criteria for our list. Oh, would okay. not be found on not be found on Christian Book. Su- yeah, yeah, such uh, sources. I thought you were bashing ChristianBook.com. Is it ChristianBook.com? No, <laughs> who is uh, obviously a sponsor of this podcast? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, um, Future sponsor. Yeah, oh, ChristianBook.com is. Uh, you can get some good stuff there. So, um, yeah, we'll start with you, Stephen. What's uh yeah, so uh, this summer I've and I I am counting audiobooks too. I spent a lot of time in the car, and we can have an argument about it later. Yeah, I, can, I counted audio. Okay, books good, too. good, good. Um, so I have listened to a book called "Save the Cat" by Blake Snyder. Uh, it is a book about screenplays and writing screenplays, and a really interesting the, the concept behind it. This guy's been a screenplay writer for like you know thirty years or something, and the idea behind it is he's analyzed all these movies and basically has a 15 beat format that they all follow from just about every genre you can imagine. Even your successful kind of indie art pieces, they all follow this, this, uh, the same pattern, which sounds like an audacious claim. 
but he he really breaks it down and he'll he goes through a bunch of different movies and shows the beats and how they work and why they're there and why it's compelling and really it's just about story more than anything else uh and when the book came out i mean it was it was huge and it's now kind of like the handbook on on writing screenplays i just got it because i wanted to kind of be able to watch movies differently and see why they were doing what they were doing but it's fascinating stuff so what was over some of the 15 okay so uh you know one you probably have heard of classic like story pieces a all is lost moment and that is when it's you know after the surprise defeat of some sort um and that can be an internal battle uh or it can be you know a physical battle with like orcs and, and elves and stuff but they have a moment where you think that this could not get any worse and one of the things he says in the book is that the all is lost moment the, the main character the hero has got to be worse off at that point than he was at the beginning of the story uh, so, yeah. you know, and there, that, that's a key element. And there's always, one of the things he points out, too, is at the all is lost moment, and he calls it a the whiff of death. So that at this moment, there is some, uh, someone, you know, a character dies, uh, a, a, an extra character, you know, uh, you know commits suicide or, or thinks about it, a bird flies into a window. There is some reference to death at the all is lost moment. And it's surprising when you when you watch movies, Having read this book and looking through this framework, how they do—they all line up. I mean, he, even Napoleon Dynamite, like there, there—it's in all these movies. It's fascinating. Um, and what's funny is because I think I got a, a newer edition than the original, so he's got some references in there. People emailed in arguing with him about the book, and so he's got yeah. these references like, "Oh yeah, well look at this," and so right, you know, as if showing... there's like he's not like prescribing like. For every single movie, it has to have these things. What, what he's like, saying is, because he, 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 that's the big accusation, is like you're just making a formula. And what he right. says is, it's not a formula. This is how stories work. Right. And so, uh, you know, and then if you do any kind of creative writing. It's a more, is it more of a framework than a yeah, formula? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you do any creative writing, you know that just knowing the 15 beats, you can't just spit out a, a work of art or a story it takes a lot with that, but you they're kind of guideposts if you want to write something um, to know, hey, if I don't have these elements. Yeah. Sometimes they're switched around here and there, but for the most part, they're in pretty much every movie from Die Hard um, into, you know, some... The best Christmas movie ever. Absolutely it is. And, yeah, <laughs> all, all these movies, they have these same things because, you know, it has to be... Uh, we're not interested otherwise. I'm not interested unless my hero... Is you know in some way well, the reason it's called Save the Cat uh, is because if if you're going to write a story with a hero who's got problems, which is every single story, every single story is a hero that has problems, then you have to make the hero lovable in some way. Mm-hmm. And so Save the Cat is what am I going to do? Even if my hero's kind of got a gruff and, and mean exterior, what am I going to do to show that he's actually worth saving? And so Saving the Cat, like doing something, going out of his way for other people. Rescuing a kitten from a tree, helping a lady cross the street, giving mm-hmm. a guy a break, whatever. That's the thing, the little element at the beginning of the movie or the beginning of the story that shows you that the guy's actually got a heart of gold, even if it's hidden under a bunch of other stuff. So that's why the is book's this, called is the, What's the author's name again? Uh, Blake Snyder. Is he a screenwriter? He is. Like, what are some of his movies? He does mostly family comedies, which is really hilarious. <laughs> um, and he talks about that a little bit. But I, he's done some like, Disney Channel movies and stuff. But what's interesting to me about that is the reception. He did like, he has had, he's, he sold like 30 something scripts at the time this book was written in the 90s. 
you know. And so he's he's sold quite a few of these things. Um, he did a Disney Channel original movie. Uh, what's that one uh, with the kid that that a blank check? He was the writer for Blank, blank Check. I don't remember. It's been so, many years, but yeah, I do remember that's that. That's the kid who like, <laughs> like gets hit by a limousine. He says he wishes he could. He could mm-hmm. be in here. He gets hit by a limousine, and the the guy jumps out of the car and to keep the, from getting sued, he writes the kid a check, forgets to fill in the amount, and the guy's a millionaire. So the kid writes in one million dollars and cashes the check for a million dollars. That's the story, okay. right? Um, but one of the elements there is you have to have. Uh, the theme stated of the movie, and usually it's a, not a not a main character that says it. It's it's a B character of some kind. In that movie, it was the main character because he said he wished he could have a million dollars. Like that. That's mm. the theme of the movie. What would you do if you had this thing? So, are there any like movies you went and watched after reading the book and tried to like see where these things he's talking about where they? Yes, where they where they may may have been applied to yeah. some of these movies. Mostly you, rewatching. So, like we've watched Lord of the Rings, which is a classic story, right? Yeah. Um, but there is that. So you know, and you, you're familiar with the hero's journey. You know that that that, that whole framework that was really big and is, is you know is yeah. really big. Um, it's it, it follows that to some degree. There's elements of that, but you know, Lord of the Rings. You know, you start out in a uh, in this world in, in the Shires, literally the world that they've grown up in. And there's got to be some some uh, catalyst that propels you out of that world, something that's big enough to get you to move from where you are and to, and to do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I've watched that. I've watched comedies. I'm trying to think of, uh, we watched like Legally Blonde, and because he references Legally Blonde in yes. there. Yeah, and uh, and so and then I, by the way, I I read that book and then I got his second uh, one that was written based on that book with his permission about uh, novel writing. And so they go through novels this way. Oh, okay. And so one of the books I got was a novel that had been analyzed in that book. It was Save the Cat Writes a Novel or something like that. Legally Blonde. Yeah. I, I see that every once a week about my wife likes that movie. <laughs> it's like well, it, it follows. Noise. <laughs> it follows the 15 beats perfectly. If you're so, interested, so. What about you, Michael? Uh, well, I was going to say IMDb gives his writing credits as blank check. Kids Incorporated and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Yes, he talks Stop. about. I haven't that. seen any of these. Yes, super, uh, super cheesy. But that's but he sold thirty scripts, but they don't make them all into movies. Like uh, that's okay. something you learn about in reading the book is about how kind of like the screenwriting world works. They'll buy it just for the rights and have one little idea they like and they'll use that. Really? But yeah, it's interesting stuff. Um, I always heard a screenwriter yeah, like screenplays. Uh, they can get heavily like. Reworked and it, it, like the screenplay writer doesn't have a lot of uh, creative right. creative ownership eventually in the process because right. by the time it it's a battle to keep your it. writing credit because yeah. if they have to edit it so much then you're not you don't get the sole credit on the writing yeah. so so what one book I read recently this is not actually on my list but um, Killers of the Flower Moon um, yeah. it's about the that, well before I get that it's there, Scorsese's making a movie out of it with DiCaprio mm. and Robert De Niro. Oh, and like, so I was reading something about the movie, and DiCaprio got his hand on the script, and then like totally changed characters. He was like supposed to be one guy, and then he was like, "No, nah, we started reworking one character," and he's like, "I'm going to be this guy now." Okay, so I guess that, <laughs> I guess the <laughs> actor has say, the director yeah. has to say the. Well, I get maybe I think guys. Leonardo DiCaprio just gets a say. I think whatever the sure. rules are, he gets a say. So. Right. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah. So, what about uh, you, Michael? What's your uh, 
first one. So the, the the first book I have down is a book called Alchemy by Rory Sutherland. Um, it is I, I first heard this guy on a podcast I listen to regularly called Econ Talk, mm. and it's uh, it piqued my interest because I've always described myself as a marketing agnostic because yeah. I could never I can never really prove that marketing works. But I don't, there's not enough evidence to prove that it doesn't work. Oh, I mean, that's kind of a general, I mean, doesn't, I would think doesn't some marketing work and some marketing well, so doesn't this, work. So, so that's why I was interested in this book because this guy is, is a marketer and he's been fairly successful and he's just telling you kind of his logic and rationale behind why he does, which is funny. I say that because the premise of the book is that marketing is illogical mm-hmm. and people do things that don't make sense. And that's the magic. And so this book's like, how do you create magic? Yeah. And um, magic's illogical. Magic doesn't make sense, but that's how society moves forward and creates new products and new experiences. And uh, so I, I got the audio book, which was great because he's just like a good old British guy and uses foul language and everything, which made yeah, it so. thoroughly, thoroughly entertaining. <laughs> um so that I get the Americans get entertained by like, <laughs> British accents. Yeah. Just, just yeah. say so, words to me. Just say Brits. Words. Yeah. By the way, I, I, the title for this episode, I think it's going to be called Secular Books. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I'm sorry, but yes. Like uh, now, what's the title of it again? Alchemy. Alchemy. Okay. So, that's the a magic, nice. magic theme. Sure. So the, the main well, borderline exam- magic in science. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 So, yeah. so the, the main example he uses in the book is Red Bull. <clears throat> Okay. Red Bull is one of the biggest beverage brands in uh, the world, but every consumer study they've ever done on it says it tastes terrible. Okay. And so his, it, the line of argumentation he goes down is that if you had these consumer studies and you had samples and you went to a group of investors to ask them for funding to build a beverage brand, uh, they would say, well, what do the customers say? And all your studies would say, but they wouldn't say, I prefer Pepsi. I prefer Coke. I prefer a different drink. It would say, this is awful. And no, (laughs) no investor, no investor would put their money into it. Right. But somehow, some way they were able to build that terrible beverage into this big brand that people consume and like, it gives you wings. That's why. Well, that's alcohol. I don't think, I think it tastes uh, good. So, that's the marketing. That's people the are using it as a mixer with liquor now. That's like one of the, like, they'll, they'll mix people, it with whatever it well, is. They, but they've been doing that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've tried like other energy drinks. That's the only one I'll do. Five hour energy. I'm not an energy drink Very guy, so I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell I mean, you. I don't do it every so day. I'm not looking either. to have like health problems, but, but like. I, I will say the other one he talks about in the book that I think about on a regular basis is dishwashers because the claim is people buy a dishwasher to wash their dishes. And he's like, I think people buy a dishwasher because they don't want to clean their dishes and they need a place to keep their dirty dishes. Which I was like, every day, every day I eat my breakfast, rinse my plate and put it in there. And I think about that. I'm like, this is why we have a dishwasher. And when, the, and when the place to put your dirty dishes gets fully like, okay, crap, I'll clean these dishes. Yeah, you know, yeah. push the button. Put the pot in. The liquid. Um, 
That's yeah. So I, I I enjoyed that book. I recommend the audio book if anyone audio wants book to. Yeah. Well, yeah, British guy, British guy. Uh, I'll just read swearing. it with the internal or... British accent in my head. It's not going to be. As good. <laughs> read it with the internal British accent. It's not going to be as good. <laughs> I promise. Um, so my first one is uh, well, I didn't know what order to go in, but Stephen talked about a book about screenwriting and all that, so I decided to go with. I read a couple entertainer biographies this summer, but I I picked one for this. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock, A Life in Light and Darkness. So it is, it's biography? a huge biography, and it's actually recent. I think like 2010 at some point. I mean, wow. recent for Hitchcock biography. Um, and I guess it was partially like a corrective book to a previous biography, which was kind of the standard biography of Hitchcock, which was called uh, Alfred Hitchcock, Dark Side of a Genius by mm-hmm. Donald Spoto. Spoto. Um, Spoto's written a lot of entertainer biographies, and he's always, like, tried to, at least the opinion of many, and I, I kind of find myself in agreement that he's kind of tried to always give a dark twist or focus on, like, the dark mm. sides or, like, the, the sides the we didn't thing, see, yeah. the sides we didn't see, right? And Hitchcock, there is some of that there. Like, there, there's controversy around like, the way he uh, treated some of his actresses and actors, you know. But... um and, but and of course it's Hitchcock is he, he his some of his movies are pretty yeah. dark I guess but um, this this book was like it was more of a holistic take mm. it was like that's why he I think that's why he titled it a life in light and darkness uh-huh. and um, it's a biography but a lot of it like a great a, probably the biggest section of the book because he made so many movies over the course of like fifty years. It's really just a chronological working through of each movie he did, like when he got the idea, or like how and when and where he got wow. the idea, the first people he brought together to plan the story concept of this movie, uh, all the way from, ex- yeah, I think we can let the, the screen go out and okay. keep recording yet, so <laughs> I'll edit that bit out. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Hitchcock, uh, it's, it's basically just a cool, um, you know, chronologically works through all the movies he he made and uh, yeah, I just thought it was a it was pretty good and I got the ebook of it. No British narrator voice. Um, I don't think there was an uh, audiobook. Uh, I think the author was Pat McGilligan of that book. So I'll put a show note for put show note for all these books. So Sweet. Send me the list. I don't remember the titles. <laughs> but but um, so what, remind me again what your favorite Hitchcock film is. So personally, my favorite Hitchcock movie is Thirty Nine Steps, which was an earlier That's one. That's one I haven't seen. Okay, so a lot of people haven't seen um, kind of his earlier stuff, um, his British movies, but they're some of the most accessible movies because mm-hmm. um, they were rumored, it was, people thought that they were public domain, which they technically weren't, but because of that, you could get, like, everyone sold, like, like you any bin at, like, TJ Maxx with DVDs would have, like, a Hitchcock, 10 movies of Hitchcock, but it was all <laughs> early films, so and it was, like, 10 bucks, right? And so, but, and I think you can even YouTube a lot of his early British films, but he kind of had like a, uh, he had some really good ones in his early British years and he had some really not so good ones. And it was really when he went from one studio to another, kind of in the second half of the thirties is when he really, he made like a string of really just good kind of action thriller slash melodrama mix. They weren't, he, he wasn't like a horror thriller I mean, we know him from Psycho and the Birds, but he made more just like um, whodunits or, you know, innocent man on the run trying to prove his 
Innocence. That's what Thirty Nine Steps is about. He did more of these types of thriller movies earlier before he made like more of the I guess mm-hmm. the darker things. But well, I just just really well. Thirty Nine Steps. Great. So there's a great Netflix <clears throat> documentary called Five Came Back about uh, five of like the all time classic directors like John Ford, yeah, um, John Huston, uh, Frank, Frank Capra, mm-hmm. and about. With them being film directors and then World War II starting. Oh, yeah. And them going into the military to film right. for the government and uh, then coming back and then how that affected them. Great documentary. Is there any, does it, the book talk about this or have you noticed any stark difference in Hitchcock pre war, post war? So that's a good question. So um, during when, when World War II started, America, a lot of Americans were, um, America was not, I don't want to say totally isolationist, but there was definitely an isolationist caucus in our government. Right. Like a lot of people did not want to go to war or if we, you know, we will if we have to type of thing. Um, and, but the British were, of course, over there fighting and they, they were, were in like, the war earlier. They, we they were, were like up to their necks in the war. Mm-hmm. And Hitchcock, of course, British born. And he, and it was kind of like, kind of, Bold of him to do like he leaves Britain in uh, 39 or 40 and one of his first movies he makes when he comes to Hollywood which he worked like really hard to negotiate getting a good contract so he could come to Hollywood it was kind of his dream so he could like be making movies in Hollywood he uh, did a movie called Foreign Correspondent which was like an espionage type movie I'm very I'm ashamed to say I've not seen this I heard it's one of his best but it was definitely like show it was definitely like a pro-war like film showing mm-hmm. that uh the war effort is a just cause and we okay. need to be involved in it and some people were you know and and he, he kind and it was it was so it was i guess subtle and subliminal enough in the movie that the censors didn't catch it because i guess like some uh, american censors were even willing to i could be wrong but from what i from what i remember reading some censors uh at the time uh would try to like not they wouldn't want to promote that type of a message maybe one, one way or the other. Yeah. Hmm. And this is like 1940. This is like a year before we even go, <laughs> we go into the war. I mean, like, yeah. a year later, there's propaganda everywhere. Yeah. You like, yeah. You like those yeah, directors those, you talk about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I knew that about John Houston for that. They were definitely like... You need they, to watch this. Five came back. If five came back. I'll have to see it. It's yeah. good. It's really um, good. Steven, next book. Yeah, so uh, I read, or I'm actually in the middle of reading uh, Girl on the Train, which came out. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. I remember. I've seen the movie. movie. Yeah. Um, that's one of the ones that was talked about in the in the novel version of Save the Cat, and I uh, just wanted to <clears throat> wanted to follow it along and see. It, it is interesting, um, but it's a it's a suspense mystery about a uh, alcoholic woman who is kind of going through the motions of life and fantasizing, uh, living kind of through other people that she sees from her train ride. And through that gets embroiled in a murder and disappearance and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, but no one, you know, at the point, the all is lost moment. And mm-hmm. this is when uh, she realizes that she's done everything she can and no one believes her anymore because she's just the crazy drunk lady mm-hmm. who's making up things for attention, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really good. If you haven't seen the movie, the movie is really good. Uh, I did, I did see them. I wasn't, you didn't like the I, movie? I didn't get it. You were like I, it's, it's kind of like <laughs> eh. didn't get what do you mean? Didn't get it? That's the one with Emily. Bourne. Maybe I was yes. in a bad mood when I watched it. I just I went, well, my dad and I watched it uh, 
together and I think we both had a similar feeling. We were like So I feel like <laughs> movies like tend to come out in pairs and there's a there's a winner and a loser. So like um you know Sahara came out at the same time that uh National Treasure came out in the same area. And then, okay. of course National Treasure is is way bigger than Sahara was, right? Right. Um this came out the same time Gone Girl came out or right around that. And Gone Girl was freaking huge. It was around the I remember seeing Gone Girl. Yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah. And I think I mean Gone Girl was just much more well received. I thought yeah. that's that's part of what happened there. But um, but yeah, was, no, I mean the book the book is really well written, uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's a really interesting story. And one of the things that I that intrigued me about it from the description in in the Save the Cat book was uh, the fact that the writing like plants it, it uses the uh, the untrustworthy narrator piece. Mm-hmm. So, but the the narrator never lies to you. The narrator says things such that you think one thing from the context, but really it's something else. So you can go back and read the book after you see the, the, the plot twist and realize, oh, they didn't didn't actually lie about that. I just assumed from the phrasing of everything that it was talking about something else. So it, it really well done. Yeah. Really well done that way. Cool. Yeah. Um, hmm. I'll go. I'll go fiction for my next one because I only have one fiction on here. Um, that was Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishigura, who is probably my favorite uh, fiction writer. Um, I'd probably say of all time, definitely modern. Um, I'm not really a big fiction reader, um, but I got turned on to him a couple years ago um, reading an interview with Jeff Bezos and his book Remains of the Day was listed as one of Jeff Bezos' favorite books. One of Bezos' favorite books. Mm. So I, I thought that was interesting. So I went and bought it and it was kind of one of those weird, like the subject of the book was um, kind of timely with things that were going on in my life. Not The book's about a guy who works for a Nazi sympathizer, so it wasn't anything quite that extreme. <laughs> right. But Nothing that really yeah, happened but in they, life. Things were... <laughs> Uh, you know, question, questioning certain superiors and, and events, and so it's um, like a time period. Yeah, it, is it like a yeah, thirties, yeah, thirties, okay. forties, and there's more to it than just like the the butler wrestling with the his boss, who's a Nazi th- sympathizer. But um, all all of his work has to do with memory and um, regret. And um, you've read some of his yeah, stuff. Even. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of the other big themes, but I mean, missed opportunity. Yeah, missed opportunity. And, and, but but usually it's because of your your own moral compass has gotten in your way. Your own sense of, of yeah. So yeah. So like the butler is a, a duty. Duty. That was mm-hmm. the other big theme from the book, yeah. where it, it was a conflict of his moral sensibilities versus is what he believed his duty to be. Mm-hmm. And when those come into conflict, how does that play out in life? Right. When, when you are looking back from the end at the end of your life, because it's him at the end of his career right. telling a story. <clears throat> right. Um, but he's got another book that I really enjoyed called never let me go, which is sort of similar, but Clara and the sun was, is the one he released this year. And so I bought it when it came out, kind of stashed it, picked it up over the summer. Um, and where where are we on spoilers on this podcast? 
should just if, if you don't want spoilers, uh, skip forward 25 seconds. There you go. <laughs> May not be enough. Anyway, it's, it's about it's about this uh, a robot who um, that she's she starts out in a robot store mm-hmm. and um, watching society move through the front window. And this girl, this little girl, probably 12, 13, somewhere in there, comes and adopts her. And the family takes her home. And so you're following the story of her. She becomes friends with this girl and the girl's mother. And the story progresses to where it's the girl's sick and she's dying. And the reason that the whole time you're thinking that the girl or the family adopted her because it's like the new tech toy for kids and it's like a partner. And, mm-hmm. um, but it's really the family adopted the robot because they're trying to impart the girl's being onto the robot so that when the girl dies, they can live on with their daughter. And so it's like... Is the girl the girl's ill? The girl's ill, okay. yeah. And uh, so it's that that's kind of the theme of the book. And not... It, I don't think it was his best work, but it was um, it was easy to read and it was enjoyable. And the ending wasn't what I expected, mm-hmm. um, so it was good. He's got his writing style is super smooth. It's more conversational than it is like you're reading. It's just real easy to get into it and get captivated. And you're like, why am I captivated by this? This seems very simple, but he's right. just he's really some he's writers are just good at good dialogue that draws you in you know um just the characters that that they create you know are yeah you know i've read i've read that's the fourth book of his that i've read um <clears throat> highly recommend any of his stuff it's, okay. it's great that's that's interesting like have you guys seen uh, the show upload on amazon yeah the, yeah uh, it's, jeff daniels yes it's the guy li- did the office it's literally uh it is a story. It's like people in a futuristic world making their own afterlife by uploading consciousness into a massive like game, oh. essentially. And you get to like it deals yeah. a lot, lot with socioeconomic, um, you know, uh, privilege and that kind of thing. But yeah, same kind of like idea of wanting to upload or or you know recreate a person digitally, their personality and all mm-hmm. that. It seems like there's a, Several things like that. I've heard it sounds about like recently. a deep human need to want to continue on with the people you love, yeah. right? And try and do whatever you can to save it. And technology has really kind of presented different ways to do that, and whether they're good or not, we don't know. So it's interesting. Both that show and yeah. this book are kind of interesting explorations into that. Yeah, there's a the, the interesting thing to me about about that concept is, and they haven't I haven't seen anything really. That's dealt with this. That has addressed this issue. Like there is a way in which that's like you can you can think through, you know, a digital, uh, you know, uploading yourself, uploading your soul, your personality, who you are, and you know what that what the implications that would be. I watch those show that show, and I'm like, but that's not him. That's just a really really good recreation right. of him, and it creeps me out. At the end of the day, like, does, does an algorithm have a soul? Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, but like if, if you know something, God forbid, you know, happened to a you know family member, friend, uh, and you had coffee with them, and this was an uploaded or a, a digital version, 
could you ever look at them like they were the same person? Right. Like, could you? I mean, so, is so it, this, you have to use your this, imagination, honestly. Like, this book uh, does some really interesting things with that, where they're letting the robot follow the girl throughout her life to try and pick up on her facial expressions, her yeah. personality, everything. And they, the two friends that the girl has is the robot and then a boy who's a neighbor. And the boy and the girl who's sick are in love and they've talked about getting married and all that stuff. Yeah. And she like, there's scenes in the book where she, the girl excuses the robot from the room so she can talk to the boy. Hmm. So like you're sitting there like, that's like a very realistic thing somebody would do. Right. And she's clearly going to miss out on some aspect of that girl that she can't ever recreate or reproduce. Yeah. Right. Uh, the robot can't yeah. recreate or reproduce. Right. And um, so it was, it, it, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed mm-hmm. the book, yeah. Um, my next book, uh, when you were talking about being that being conflicted between, uh, you know, your moral sensibilities and duty, that just brought me right to Plato. So <laughs> my next uh, book on my recent, recent secular now. books, my three recent secular books. My second one is, um, yeah, very short introduction to Plato from the very short introduction well, series. And, if, th- and thank God Plato never mentioned religion or anything like that. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> uh, not at all. So <laughs> I guess this doesn't count. Are you telling me I have to, are you telling me I have to pick well, another I, book? I think we can allow it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I'll be Old really quick. Die hard. <laughs> uh, Plato, Very Short Introduction by Julia, Julia Onis. Uh, the Oxford Very Short Introduction series, uh, I'm sure a lot of our readers, um, I imagine a lot of our, our listeners, readers, I imagine a lot of our listeners probably read some of those uh, because there's lots of ones on theology and, and religion. But basically any topic under the sun, has, there is a there is a Oxford Very Short Introduction mm-hmm. book for. They're like 100 pages or less. Written by a very expert, very credible authority in the field, and uh, the reason why I had to read on Plato was because I had to teach. Um, I'm teaching Plato to freshmen in high school right now. Um, my part of my new job, I teach a history of religion class, which is basically like Western civilization, but from a faith standpoint, a lot of it's like a church history. Um, and we start out in ancient Greece, and and we you know study where kind of where our ideas of or some ideas of ethics and morality and, and come from where philosophy comes from. And so, so I was, and I was like, you know, I never formally studied like uh, Plato or the big three uh, Greek philosophers like Socrates, Aristotle, Plato. So I found this book on Plato and just some of the things uh, that Michael was saying, that conflict of being, you know, not, uh, not compromising on your values. Um, you know, Plato explores that with this idea of uh, what happiness is, um, you know, happiness, uh, is it success or is it not compromising on your values? And Plato obviously goes with not compromising on your values. But um, it's fascinating because uh, I didn't realize this, that most of Plato's works, like 90% of them, probably more, um, are, are dialogues, you know, and one of the people in dialogues is always Socrates, who is his teacher. And so it's like, um, you know, whatever... It's, it's like anything you know about Socrates is probably from the pen of Plato. And so anything, any view of Socrates is actually Plato's view. And, and Plato kind of uses that, um, you know, when Socrates uh, chooses, chooses death, you know, famously in his, in his, at the end of his trial. 
um, and drinks the hemlock. That's, you know, Plato's writing. So Plato kind of, through Socrates, through his teacher, uh, through this writing about it, he really emphasizes that whole thing about um, not compromising in your values or, um, you know, the divine goods versus the material goods. Life isn't about just uh, success. It's not just about wealth and prosperity, but what you do with that wealth and prosperity. And it's all kind of, I mean, his ideas on the soul are interesting. His ideas on um, the Republic are, are interesting as far as like what an ideal society might look like, even though uh, he's also had a realist bent. He knew that was an ideal and not what mm-hmm. is always possible. Um, you know, so it's, you know, I just find it very fascinating. Having not, never really studied him before. I, uh, I've never <clears throat> read Plato or Socrates but a guy in my office was telling me this week he's reading The Republic, but he's doing the audio book. Yeah. And it, he said it plays like a podcast. Like a podcast. Because you got different people talking to each other in a conversation. Right. It's, it's just like a podcast. Is it different voices? Yeah. He said it's okay, different voices, which makes yeah, it easier I need, I need to I'm glad they did that. I have tried to read The Republic twice, <laughs> and I just get bogged down in it. And I feel like that would be helpful. That's like me yeah. reading Augustine's Confessions. I just... <laughs> you can't do it. It Augustine's just, a t- takes, it takes time. It takes time. Yeah, it's it, it's not that up. what they're saying is uninteresting. It's just that uh, the prose is very. It's from a different time. Um, yeah, yeah. Even in a modern English translation, it's yeah. So you just kept to. You I know, felt like I had you, to like read a page or two and then stop, yeah. and then come back and read a page. Right, or two, which is a big book. It's not. Oh, it's, City of God, which Augustine. Well, both City of God and Confession. Confessions. Yeah. Yeah, um, if you're going to read a page or two at a time, it takes, yeah, it takes right. way, way long yeah. time to get and, through. And uh, it's also like, you know, four pages in before you know what point he's making type thing. Right. Um, yeah. You know, which is fine if you have the time. For, if, if you're up for that, you know. Um, but yeah, and, and yeah, so I have, I bought Plato's works as well. It, just like a generic English translation mm-hmm. ebook of it for, and so... I guess if I ever want to go back to the actual source and not read this intro, I can always go there. So. But my problem, like, and this is part of our, you know, I'll, I'll rail against culture and society for a second and say that, like, when I when I go to YouTube to learn how to fix, figure something out, I fixed my wife's car the other day. I had to saw take off the, the radio and all this stuff and solder a couple of wires back together to fix her air conditioning. It was a five-minute video or six-minute video, and I skipped to the part. I was like, I don't want to hear you talking about how you're fixing your life. Let me skip to the part where it's happening, the thing that I need to know. Well, you, had, then, a, you had a you need, paused. man. Yeah. Well, that's, that's how we, I think, just approach things. Like, to me, it's like, if I don't have, I, I don't want to hear all the throat clearing and the, you've gotten convinced on all this stuff. Get to the part that's yeah. interesting, you know, and you miss out on stuff. Is that, that what you, I, I think, uh, no, you're right, though, when you read some of these older Philosophers and theologians, yeah, it's, it's they're starting it's, from what, zero. When you say, and clear, we're going to build this thing up from and, there, and the throat know? clearing, like yeah. all the little, uh, all the minor considerations, yeah. There's like ten pages of little things we could consider, yeah, but we're not going to, yeah. Now this we could consider, yeah. but we're not going to. Now this part is what we're going to, to consider. Part, part of that has to be they had. To, I don't know how much other stuff they had to do, like. Well, you know, like we, like it you was fixed the air conditioning. You're like, I could go into the air conditioning, yeah. and watch. It was read very, on the train or whatever. Yeah, it was yeah. very much a quiet world. I mean, think about it. And no, I mean all the that's why they get good work. Devices we have yeah. that entertain us, and that but we, also the other part is the controversies that were a thing. Then they're writing these books to to answer. 
mm-hmm. are not controversial to us anymore. And so right. imagine like were watching then. a speech and there's like a 10 minute segment that's timeless. But then the, the first 40 minutes are like explaining and, and all that uh, and the implications for that day and what they're concerned with and all right. that stuff. And oh, they just built like, it. They really built it up. Yeah. yeah. What's, what, Drew, what's your third book on your list? I know I'm going out of order here, but. Uh, uh, am I allowed to do that? Yeah, it's your podcast. My third book is a book by Michael Crichton, and Ooh. it's called Timeline. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. And also, I, I was debating whether to go to that or to uh, the Plato intro book because you, you said something about um, you said something about like. Uh, something some sci-fi dystopian thing that reminded me of <laughs> yeah that, something in timeline and so uh yeah. you know but yeah that's, that's so what what's I, the main premise of timeline well i mean do you want me to go yeah, okay. yeah, yeah then then y'all y'all guys still got a book yeah i'll go right? next okay time so timeline sci- it's sci-fi um michael Crichton. the only michael Crichton book i ever read before i've read in middle school i think was jurassic park um mm. which of course we all know jurassic park but a lot of people actually haven't read well, the book. Jurassic Park. No, I have not read the book. Yeah, better than the movie. Oh, and I don't, okay. I don't, I know it's so cliche to say that because I don't. That's I, a bold claim for Jurassic Park because Jurassic Park is a it is an awesome movie. I would say movie. I would say Jurassic Park's in the top twenty five greatest films of all time. Yeah, but the book is actually better. And I've seen, I've read, I've seen movies where that are better than books. But this, like, it was more. There's a lot. There's a lot more action. Like for a teenage boy. Yeah. I was very much entertained more by the book than the movie. Wow. There's like more action. The body counts higher. Not that. that what's, <laughs> what's crazy? The about, death counts right. higher. More people died. Awesome. More people died. Yeah. It was, yeah. The, I know this has nothing to do with timeline, but the crazy thing about the Jurassic Park movie to me is how well the CG is held up. Oh, yeah. Over yeah, the years. Because sure. most movies don't hold up. They don't. And I don't know why. Like, it was, they were part animatronic, part CG. Yeah. Yes. It was a, it was it a, was a hybrid, good mix. Yeah. Yeah. And they I, just I, hit that sweet spot. I think that sweet spot was good. Like, you saw it. was it like in the early Marvel. 90s. Yeah. yeah. CG. I think you stuff. saw even in, like, Empire Strikes, but the original Star Wars trilogy, those special effects hold up real well, too. When other things from there. I guess they had to get creative. Don't. Well, the part of the problem with now that is like computers. they've redone that so many times now that unless you have the original like VHS or whatever, you you're seeing a doctored version of it with right. Uh, which well, is I can I could be wrong, but I don't think they did all the doctoring to Jurassic Park that they did to like Star Wars. Oh, they did. No, no, no. I agree. They may have done like some updating. Yeah, I don't know much about the making of Jurassic Park. Um, now timeline. Uh, also, best Spielberg film. Uh, my favorite Spielberg film would be Jaws. Okay, so you got two, at least two in the top 25. Spielberg yeah, you're right. Films. I guess that means I have to put... No, Jaws is an <laughs> awesome movie. Jaws is, so I'm in a Jaws group on Facebook. <laughs> and they That's literally... Awesome. I don't... I've never been in a group like this on Facebook ever. Like, I'm, I'm in some fan group. I'm not a lot. Sure, I don't... Sure. Sometimes fans of anything can kind of give, creep you out a little bit. Yep. These fans, they're like really into Jaws, but it's not in a weird way. Like you can tell they're normal people. Like they're yeah. Like they're not going to get offended if you tell them Jaws sucks or something. Yeah, yeah. Like they'll just laugh about oh, but they love Jaws. It's hard to explain, but they're like fanatical about it, but not like you know, uh, 
not having a, a real life fanatical right. about it. It's it's right. a really cool group, and they do all these. There's all these puns and memes that they. That's so awesome. It is. It's called. I think it's just called Jaws. <laughs> uh, so, shout out oh, to anyone in that. So I don't know anyone in that group, but anyway. Um, so, so we got off track. So timeline by Michael Crichton, which was made into a movie. I have not. I have uh, not seen it by the um, same name. Same name. Mm-hmm. I guess Paul Walker and Gerard Butler were in it. I think it was two thousands. I don't That's gotta be a decent action movie. I heard it wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. Like I heard it was like I heard. I don't know. So the reason why I read that is because um where I work now at the school, um, each faculty member gets to pick a book and like ten and up to ten students can so the kids have to do summer reading. It's part of their English curriculum, I think, and they have to read like three books or four books over the summer, and then they have to pick a fourth or fifth book. Uh, of of different options, and the faculty members all offer an option. And I oh. and I was gonna, and I chose to take part in this and spawn and have a group. And I, I picked time. I was gonna. I was thinking of doing Jurassic Park because I remember reading that as seventh or eighth grade, liking a lot. And I ended up. I was like, what are some other Michael Crichton books that? Because I want to read something for the first time, maybe. And I looked up timeline. I'm like, oh, it's it's about time travel. So and it's it's like sci it's sci-fi and history and it's just really so the science in it is really there's like pages of of Crichton explaining the scientific process of how they do time travel in this story um which I won't uh spoil any of this unless um because I don't even remember all <laughs> it too well either because it's very uh, and then he also did they use a flux capacitor that's what I know they use basically like a teleportation cage huh. that they went into but like it used it used um, basically like a, a multiverse. Basically, it wasn't okay. so much time travel. It was like going into a multiverse that because time's not even a real thing. Okay, okay. right. It's a concept. Sure, sure. So it's like going into another universe where it's still like the Middle Ages. Okay, so but you you can't so, you can't impact your home universe then with uh, this kind of time travel. Right. Uh, no, it, they kind of got into the whole thing. What about a, a paradox or something? If it were yeah. to happen, but um, they explain why it, it doesn't. Uh, oh. So these basically the plot is these like historians who are like excavating a site and trying to re trying to um, rebuild what this old monastery would have looked like in this town in medieval France. They're in France, like, you know, doing research, and then the corporation funding it um, has like time travel. Uh, has this time travel technology, but they're very—it's it's all secret. But they let them in on it because they have to send them in to send them back to the Middle Ages in order to like bring back someone who got stuck back there. And there's like ethical, uh, there's ethical. Uh, dilemmas and all those big moral questions about you know um well i guess it is is you know when you go back in time don't bring these certain things and don't talk to these certain people and and the whole like you know uh you know are they pro or against killing interdimensional hitler i don't know (laughs) that'd be be interesting (laughs) but yeah it's it's a pretty good book but so time, uh, Timeline the Movie was directed by Richard Donner. Yeah. Who did yeah, the Goonies, lethal, yep. all the Lethal Weapons, The Omens, some Scrooge. Good, wow. Some good movies. The original Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah. 
First Lethal Weapon's an awesome movie. I love the First Lethal Weapon. That's got to be a pretty decent action movie. I would think. I have, have you seen I it? I have not seen it. The first one's a... No, I, mean, I was good. talking about Lethal, Weapon, Lethal Weapon. You would think, movie. yeah. I mean, and I mean, just if they just filmed what's in the book, it would be an amazing movie. So I don't know how it could have. From what I've heard, I don't. I mean, just I just don't know how it could have went wrong. But well, I'm I'm gonna see it. But I'm waiting until after. So the students have to meet. We have to meet three times with the students, and on the third meeting, they have to present a project they make up about the book. It can be like there's all kinds of different things. And um, I was gonna wait till after that to watch the movie because I don't want it to taint my. I still don't. Because <laughs> I, I already imagined like there's yeah. a guy in there. One of the scientists I imagined is John Goodman. There you go. I don't know why he's like. Maybe that's why it's got bad reviews. An ex, I don't want to an see anything where there can't Goodman's be a John Jeff Goldblum not. scientist. That's what I want to see yeah. is a Jeff Goldblum scientist. I, like, it's why it's why uh, uh, Jurassic Park. Part was so yeah. Good. yeah. Uh, there's one guy in it. I imagine him as someone at the church I used to serve. There's another guy in it that I imagine him as <laughs> as the owner of uh, the cigar bar here in Treeport. Uh, <laughs> Shout out, Matt. <laughs> you were a good guy. Like, I just pictured, like, people I knew. Sorry, Stephen. Yeah. Like, I don't think you made it. In ah. But it's just, you know, your brain, you're reading a book, and you'll, right. you'll imagine the house as your grandparents' house. Yeah. And you'll yeah, imagine the yeah, main yeah. character as your cousin's face. For some, oh, yeah. There's no reason behind it. Yeah. Right. You just, like, assign these faces to these people in the book. See, but this is, that, that's better than the radio, because in the book, you can, I mean, the, you're not going to see the person. They're, they're a fake character right. made up you can see a movie and go, oh they didn't get to do a very good job casting that because they don't look like my imagination version right. of the person right. but with the radio you'll hear their voice forever you'll develop a very strong mental image of them and they look absolutely nothing like what you think they look like that's just right. the law of nature yeah um, it yeah. is weird yeah when you talk to and then podcasts I listen to yep. I start like I don't I there's a couple podcasts I listen to I don't want to see no. what they look like because <laughs> no, what they look it. like in my head is like Perfect. And there's you know? a 0% chance they look like that in real life. There's no yeah. way you've nailed it. Right. And they're going to look completely... If you think they're brunette, they are blonde. I promise. Like, right. With that stuff. And then Laura, the, um, the main female protagonist in, of the group, the female student, they, she's Laura Dern just because Laura Dern is in Jurassic Park. So, you know, you I signed her also. But she's probably... <laughs> it's probably, yeah, I bet the actress who plays her in the movie is, like, totally different. I don't know. But it's just, yeah, it's... Interesting. How well, this needs to be a follow-up after you see the movie. How close did it comport to your bonus episode? Yeah, 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 I don't know. We'll see. We still so got two more my, books. My final book that I had on my list was um, "Opened" by Andre Agassi, his autobiography of the uh, tennis player. And uh, I'm a I'm a tennis guy. Um, I've been playing a lot in the last two years, and. Um, just downloaded the audiobook one day because I wanted something to listen to. I was mm-hmm. sick of all my podcasts and needed something different and uh, just on a whim got it and thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. It was, um, it really wasn't, I mean, there's plenty of tennis in it, but it's not really a tennis book. It's more of um, his story because he had kind of a crazy childhood and he had one, you know, t- typical, uh, father who uh, pushed him a lot harder than a dad probably should push a kid mm-hmm. but you know that's juxtaposed against he probably wouldn't have right. been as successful as he was without that but um, just a crazy crazy life he uh, his dad was an immigrant 
and push him in tennis really early when his three older siblings didn't make it mm-hmm. and he was clearly the best of the kids and there's just stories of like his brother stopping him one day and like if dad gives you a pill don't take it and it turns out like his the dad was like pushing speed on his kids sure, oh, matches wow. and um he, you know, he went through life, and um, he married Brooke Shields. They got divorced and married uh, Steffi Graf, who's one of the greatest women's tennis mm-hmm. players of all time. But there was a really good arc in there about how, because of his dad, he didn't enjoy tennis. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he finally figured out um, over time, he started, he, he really enjoyed building a charter school and he's like, the better I can be at tennis, the more money I can get to invest in others. That's cool. And he dropped out of high school to play tennis and all this stuff. And so it was a really cool story. And, uh, to tie into the podcast a little bit, he ended up, uh, just randomly when he was younger, got invited to this church in Las Vegas. And he was already famous at this time. And he like called the pastor, like, 10 o'clock at night and was like we gotta talk we gotta talk and like they ended up becoming like really good friends mm. and the pastor kind of was in his own crisis of like he did not enjoy being a pastor mm-hmm. but he had this like really big church and successful and all he wanted to do was be a, a music producer mm-hmm. and um, their friendship were like spiritual guidance but also just personal pushing each other to be really like you said who they want to be mm-hmm. stick to their convictions and the, I looked the guy up he I didn't recognize his name but he's like a pretty successful CCM music producer like, oh, okay like late 90s like Phillips Craig and Dean wow. a lot of their like praise and worship stuff really okay um, but it was a it was a very good break from the, the stuff I normally listen to and read yeah um, very just enjoyable. Right. Enjoyable. It's been a while since I've really read it. Just this uplifting story. Like somebody's yeah. been, been through hell, but. I hate that about myself. Has, if I, if, if it's high, it says it's uplifting, run. then I'm like, nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds boring. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so, I mean, t- I mean, it ends up uplifting, but like, you know, they go through. Right. And, and then there's that good mentor figure they have in their life that, you know, uh, helps bring them to and we can all relate because we probably all had someone like that in some form in our own lives and yeah. I think that's you know what. so he was he was one of the last great American test players um you know, Pete Sampras had the record for the most major wins he was American too um but Andre so Pete had 14 Andre had eight but he won all of them mm-hmm. Pete, Pete never won the French Open and Andre got a, a gold medal which I think He's one of maybe one of two, if not the only male who's won all four major tennis tournaments and a gold medal. And like Federer's never done it. Nadal's yeah. never same done it. Same year or, or over time? <clears throat> over time. Okay. The only person who ever done it in the same year was his wife, Steffi Graf. Okay, yeah. Uh, but, and I'm not sure if she's the only female to do it. But uh, Novak Djokovic tried to do it this year because he's won Australia, French, Wimbledon. And then he didn't even medal in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And we'll see if he can do the U.S. Open this year. But 
Hmm. It was good. I know y'all aren't big tennis guys, but yeah. I mean, once you start talking about, it, I'm like, yeah, like I bet, yeah, it's like I believe you. I, didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure which line is what the lines are. <laughs> don't cross over there. I know that part. Uh, but yeah, I don't know anything about tennis. Um, so I, I, I diverted the order because I know what Steven's last book is because I'm reading off his list. Cheating. And I have questions, so I wanted to save that one. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Why. That was a good tech, uh, good uh, strategy. Audible. So, yeah. So right. what's your last My one? My last book is not fiction. It is uh, it's The Coffee Roaster's Companion. Oh, yes. And it is a beautiful, uh, full of pictures, full of graphs <clears throat> book written by Scott Rao, who's one of the like biggest coffee people in uh, the in coffee the, world. In the coffee world. The yeah, coffee he, world. he really is. And uh, he is the guy on roasting. And uh, it's really interesting. So I've, I've got it because I've been, uh, I got a little air roaster, coffee roaster. Um, and I've been playing around with that and trying to, to learn how to get good coffee. Surprisingly, it's, it's, it's not a straightforward thing. Like it is my first like three pounds of, of green coffee that I roasted were completely undrinkable. And so I had a friend tell me to get this book. And, uh, and so I got the book and it's been, it's been really interesting. There's basic principles to follow, but, uh, there's a whole, a whole world, uh, a whole and world to learn about. It's when we do the podcast with Steven, um, Stephen and others, we <laughs> we have a, we always have coffee. So yeah. it wouldn't be a true modern Protestant podcast, right? But yeah, isn't that kind of a coffee. reformed thing? Uh, I think there's like a reformed roasters. That's like there's awesome. like a podcast Probably. called the Reformed, and it's a guy with a big beard of and course. a coffee cup. Yeah. Um, well, none but, of us have big beards. None of us have big no, beards. So, uh, and this wasn't very much a very Protestant. It's very secular. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, podcast. Too. So this was so sorry, the coffee that we drank during this podcast. Yeah, no, was I roasted with the instructions from this book. Yes, I don't know that Scott would want to take credit for it necessarily, but uh, yeah, it was. I and he he did. This is mostly for commercial roasting, not for a home setup. But the principles are the same. Uh, some of the details, like the amount of time, like an air roaster is a very quick roast. Like you can you can complete an air roast in like six minutes. For commercial drum roaster, you're looking at like you know 10, 11 minutes, something like that. So there are different things, moving, moving uh, pieces. And the difficult thing with what I, with my setup is, I've only got two means of controlling uh, controlling the roast. I've got a fan control that gives me nine speeds, and I've got a uh, temperature control. Air quotes. It's just power to the heating element. Before we continue with the yeah. episode, is this stuff sure. legal to have in your house? I think so. I, uh, <laughs> I don't like, know if my landlord would be super cool with it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Um, but yeah, you have like a dryer vent. Yeah. I mean, I know oh, this is. is a podcast where people can't see, but he basically has like a, uh, he has a rig where like there's this dryer or like, like a clothes dryer yeah. uh, vent. Uh, what? It's a corrugated metal. Cor- uh, metal yeah. yeah. Uh, with a hanger. Hung by a hanger on his window blinds, yep. and the other end of the of uh, uh, the, the the vent is going toward is leading into these. You explain that. Well, it, 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 that's the roaster. It's a glass chamber. It looks uh, like glass coffee mugs stacked on top of each glass. It yeah. kind of does, yeah. But it's on the base, and the base has got this fan. And the difficulty is you've got to keep the beans agitating inside the chamber; otherwise, they will burn. 
I'm going to take um, a picture and yeah, post it, it on our Instagram. Like, this is what we're talking about, so we can give you a better vision. There you go. So tell us about <laughs> tell us about the beans that we we drank. Yeah, these are uh, Ethiopian uh, Yergachev is the is the origin of these beans. Um, that's a card you've got in your hand for a decaf. That's not what I've got currently. These are these are caffeinated, and uh, I ordered ten pounds uh, of this of this bean from Sweet Maria's. Uh, coffee supply they do a lot of green stuff and a lot of uh unroasted coffee and a lot of uh, supplies and know-how ton of youtube videos and uh yeah it, that is that's what we've got going on it's my favorite origin of coffee is, is ethiopian and they're very fruity coffees typically um and yeah so this, this i roasted uh last week what we had today and you're supposed to let it go a few days uh okay. in order to uh to to degas properly to taste right so so and, what was your recipe do you mind sharing? No, not at all. I mean, it's for I've a latte. We had to, latte. Oh, for the latte. Right? Yeah, yeah. It was just it's just espresso out of my espresso machine, and uh, you know, I think six ounces of steamed milk, and uh, yeah, it was just coffee and milk. That's what it was. Bean weight, huh? Bean weight. Bean. How many beans did you put in? Oh, I seventeen. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I used <laughs> he counts, uh, he counts eighteen. It out, yeah. Sorry, I, I get your question now. Yeah. Uh, Eighteen grams of ground coffee, and then uh, thirty-six extraction. Thirty-six grams on the extraction. So all that to say is that was my. I was trying to tee up a gram to gram transition. Okay. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> oh god. Gram of beans to a Billy Graham. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. So Billy Graham. I think. Uh, well, is that where we're going next? Well, this is our. I think this will be our secular books episode. We yeah, do need to. Okay. We do right need now. to wrap. Uh, Billy Graham up and and um, I'm not a Billy Graham expert, so it's probably better to wrap that up. Hey man, uh, no, I mean, I don't know if there is such thing as a Billy Graham expert. To be honest, I mean, I'm not even. I'm not (laughs) even living. I I don't even know. I think the only Billy Graham thing I've seen is that uh, Larry King interview. Y'all, oh yeah, y'all had. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, I mean, Steve and I, we we did that first episode, and uh, we one of these days we will conclude with. Second episode of Billy Graham, and yeah. then after that, uh, we're we're probably gonna we we kind of you know it's kind of a sub series we have with Doth protest too much. At Steve and I just we didn't like intend on this, yeah. but it went from Amy McPherson and yeah. Billy Graham, and we're kind of just like popular evangelists because it's an important part of Protestant church history. Um, it's you know more in the revivalist flavor right. of that history. It's and, a trickle down. It's, you it's know where all, theology ends up. It, where it's yeah. where theology, and a lot of our episodes are more on. It might be more in Reformation theology or mm-hmm. stuff, but I mean, I, I have. I mean, I think this show it should kind of explore all the, you know, all the different you know, religious subcultures. I guess you want to call it and the history behind them. And so um, yeah, we uh, we'll, we'll wrap up with Billy Graham the next uh, the next Sweet. time we meet. And um, but yeah, any final thoughts? So, <laughs> any future? Uh, is there any one future book? Any y'all? Uh, uh, I, have, I don't even know. I, I have Dune. <laughs> you, you have Dune okay. sit, sitting on my uh, table at home that I haven't. I think I've read two pages and then got distracted. But uh, not a huge sci-fi reader, um, but I do like sci-fi, and I'm excited about the movie because I like the director, mm-hmm. I like the cast, um, and a lot of people that I do read um, are big Dune fans. Okay, so I figured it was worthwhile to invest in that. So I'm, yeah. I'm hoping I can get knocked that out before the movie gets, gets here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know it's a movie and an older movie. And, um, 
or it's quite, it's, it maybe might be like 2001 Space Odyssey's kind of like. Well, there's a, a there's like several versions. There's like a David Lynch version. Oh, okay. And then there's like a TV, like a sci-fi channel. Oh, okay. Yeah. But this is the guy who did Sicario mm-hmm. and That's so good. Prisoners mm-hmm. and Arrival. Um, he's got a he's got a good track record in my book for mm-hmm. films. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think mine is. Um, or Stephen, do you have one? I think I'm done reading. I think I'm done reading. Yeah, no more books hey, for me. Yeah, that's it. I, I didn't. I didn't think I had one in mind. I don't even know why I asked that question. But actually, yeah. do, one came to mind. I actually, I do on my wish list. I, you know, I mentioned the very short introduction to the very short introduction to infectious diseases. Is actually uh, has been on my wish list. Awesome. <laughs> I just think it'd be really fascinating to read. I mean, can't, you can just read Facebook for all the information you want to know about infectious diseases. Don't you know that? Like, right. You become a doctor. You could probably yeah, yeah. Just, just Wikipedia. But yeah, That's I don't know. I just uh, you know, <laughs> as we're dealing with all this COVID crap, I just got part of me is like, you know, I wonder like how do viruses work? You know, mm-hmm. so I just kind of wanted to read about, it. but it's, I never got around to it. Maybe next summer. There you go. Uh, so eventually, yeah. eventually, I'll get back on my uh, U.S. presidents. I was I started a while ago, uh, going through the presidents in order, like getting like the top rated biography on each one, mm-hmm. and just to like track the history. To be clear, alphabetical order or when uh, presidential numerical. Ah, order. gotcha. Okay. George numerical? Washington. Oh wow, you okay. Okay. John Adams. Yeah. Tom yeah. Adams, and so on. I hit uh, James Madison, and it was kind of boring. But <laughs> so. Uh, at like, least the early part of his life is yeah, kind of Yeah, I feel like boring. a lot of those guys okay. might be kind of yeah. biographically boring, but yeah, I don't know. Some of them didn't start a war. Right. So, all right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in and uh, uh, thanks for inviting me on. Letting us yeah, indulge in talking about just things we like and hopefully maybe you found something in there that you may <laughs> like as well. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to mention nine books, right? I mean, At least. Yeah. What, I mean, I'm More sure. Yeah. A couple so movies if, if you there. want to take, a, yeah, movies, we got Jaws in there. So if you want to take a break from theology books ever, it's okay. It's not like a sin, uh, you know. Well, can we can end this on on a more religious note? Hmm. Did you ever finish Calvary the movie? Oh man, you're gonna put me on the spot (laughs) on the podcast. I've wanted to edit this out. I I gotta keep it in now, just (laughs) because I've wanted to hear your thoughts. I know you had. I I, I was so I watched half of it the one day, and then we had something earlier than I thought, and then um, but like I I don't know if I was in the right, but then the accent. The accents the were really accents. thick. Yeah, they're yeah, very, and I thought about doing subtitles. It's, so I'm like, no, I haven't done subtitles yeah. yet. I think I know what there's. I don't want. I want to be better than having to use subtitles for an English oh, hey, for for a, for a language that I speak. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I will say uh, subtitles are useful. Like when I don't know when the other person might not be watching what's on. Fair, they're yeah. doing something and. But you I know just what? I don't know. Maybe, maybe the audio is not mixed perfectly well, and like you can't. I hate having to like. What do they say? Like I like subtitles. So, yeah, sometimes I, I feel like it'll spoil it because it'll like say it will like it'll like before like, like a second before it happens. Yeah. You know, but, that's true. Like you know, but there are no solutions. Only I know trade-offs. you want my thoughts on it. That's it will. Uh, that's fine. But um, <laughs> Brendan Gleeson movie for those listening, I enjoyed it. Calvary, yes. We'd love to hear some commentary on yes. it. <laughs> Any of those movies, books we mentioned, uh, yeah, let us know. Um, and you can comment on our page or or send us your thoughts. So God bless everyone. Take care. And we'll be back uh, soon. So have a blessed, blessed uh, rest of your summer. 
Hi, and thank you for listening. This is Reverend Andrew Christensen again. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and don't forget to check out our previous episodes of Doth Protest Too Much. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or another streaming service that lets you rate and review our show, please do so. Five stars, one star, however you honestly feel, we can take it and would love and appreciate your feedback. Also, for any further questions or suggestions for our show, please email me at dothprotesttomuchpodcast at gmail.com. God bless your day.